Welcome to another session of WeConnect, where we explore the ideas, companies, and key players that continue to raise the bar in e-discovery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the webinar channel of the Association of Certified e-discovery Specialists. My name is Mike Quattararo, and I am the president of ACEDS. Today, we are joined by our fabulous partner, iConnect, for our webinar entitled Privacy Matters. Let's talk about some FOIA stuff. Um, iConnect, of course, is a world-leading e-discovery platform document review how you want it. Simplicity, security, and control. Learn more about iConnect at iConnect.com. Before we get started, please know that we love questions. We're happy to take questions. You can submit your questions using the Q&A widget at the bottom of your screen. All questions are anonymous. Also, if you like a copy of today's slide deck, you can download it using the resource widget at the bottom of your screen. Without further delay, I am pleased, I am super excited to introduce Ian Campbell from iConnect, who will lead our conversation today. Ian, please take it away. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Um, thanks for the, uh, the the time with the group today. We're we're qu quite excited about uh, about sharing some thoughts and ideas in and around FOIA and um, some of the challenges and some of the solutions. Um, I'll maybe just introduce uh, our our group today. I'm going to act really as a moderator, but I think uh, the others on the call are going to do most of the heavy lifting, which is uh, always a nice thing for me. Um, uh, we have uh, with us uh, Kenya Dixon, who's a general counsel and um, Operating Officer at Empire Technology Risk and Management Group. And uh, Kenya, maybe a, a quick introduction, please. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. As you may or may not know, I connect as a partner of Empire Technologies Risk Management Group, and we're excited to, to present this FOIA information to you today. Good stuff. And uh, and then Mike Federowski, who's a business manager with iConnect, is going to be uh, showing us how some of this works. We're going to show you some live code. Mike, are you there? I am here, and I'm very excited to move forward, just so everyone on uh, the phone knows a little bit more about me. been with iConnect and in this industry for 18 years come January, so I've seen a lot of changes, worked with all the different segments uh, that, of course, we deal with. Law firms, corporations, government agencies, a lot of international stuff uh, falls into my plate, and Look forward to showing you what we can do today. Great. Thanks, Mike. And, uh, and again, I'm Ian Campbell. I'm the uh, CEO and founder of iConnect. And certainly from our perspective, we are continually trying to raise the bar on e-discovery. We're continually trying to enhance uh, both our platform and, and look over the horizon as to what's next. And certainly uh, we see, as I'm sure the audience sees, uh, privacy becoming a, a more and more important component of our, our everyday lives uh, and our everyday business lives. And um, there's, there's challenges out there that, um, that, that need to be solved, and uh, we wanted to talk to you today about how we think, uh, we think that can be accomplished. Um, our, our goal today, we've got about an hour. Um, you know, we, we, we tracked it. We figure we'll probably be on here for probably 45 minutes or so, and then we can field some questions near the end. We're going to talk a little bit about, about what is FOIA, uh, what is the Freedom of Information Act, and sort of how, how do people have to tackle uh, issues in and around FOIA. Uh, the, the, what we're going to show today, though, is some technology that, beyond just FOIA, also has some uses in the commercial sector. Um, there are uh, lots of other ways that, uh, the lots of other ways that privacy comes into our lives as a component of um, of, of, our, of workflow, and we're going to talk about that. There are some unique things that we do with um, sensitive information. 
We can report on it, we can search on it, we can auto-folder it, we can redact it, and we're going to walk through that and give you a, a live demo of real code. So this is not, um, not something we're thinking of doing. It's something that uh, is, in fact, part of the iConnect uh, V10 platform that was launched in March of 2020, which I think for everyone on the phone feels like yesterday. But um, it was launched uh, about seven or eight months ago, so it, it is in market being used as we speak. We're going to talk a little bit about FOIA workflow, um, how it's the same but yet different from agency to agency um, across government, and then further to that, some sort of other uses um, of the technology uh, on the commercial side and also on the government side. So without further ado, I'm going to pass the, uh, pass the mic over to, uh, to Kenya to talk a little bit about um, what is FOIA and really what does it mean to you? So FOIA is kind of a, a universal um, idea, but in the United States, it's the Freedom of Information Act, and it allows for transparency to the American public of what it is that our government is doing. And so you can, any citizen in the United States can request um, a Freedom of Inform Information Act uh, request and ask for documents, uh, video, audio, anything pertaining to a particular subject matter, and the agency must respond in 30 days. And so that process in the American government is, is now, as it, as it works, it's more complicated, more complex, and, and more confusing than it used to be. It used to be a very seam, uh, seamless and streamlined process because you'd put in a request, you'd say, hey, I'd like everything pertaining to Kenya Dixon. And they would do a search, find everything for Kenya Dixon, make sure there was no privacy information in it or anything that would be excluded under the law, and then send that information to you. You'd pay for the copies, uh, and you'd have that information within 30 days. And something interesting began to happen um, about five or six, maybe seven years ago, and that is FOIA started being used as an offensive tool in investigations or litigation by the government. Now, what does that mean? Typically what happens when the federal government, when an agency that has investigatory power starts investigating an entity or an individual, um, the public does not know about that, but the, the individual or the entity that's being investigated becomes aware of the investigation uh, because they have to respond to the government's request for document, documents or information or data, and they want to know what the government is doing. So instead of just sitting back and waiting to see what the, the government is doing, what they're looking for, and, and waiting for an opportunity to defend themselves, um, FOIA has been used as a way to go out, get information from the government, and find out what, what the government's doing. Why are you investigating our entity? Why, what are you looking into? And so that change in the way that FOIA has been used um, has created a different workflow for the FOIA attorneys and their teams in, in the multiple agencies. Um, and so, you know, that 30-day mark, gone. You no longer can meet that anymore because the, the requests are large and there are numerous requests. What typically happens is the FOIA team would review whatever it is that they found in their search. So it would go into some sort of review application like iConnect. Um, and then they would, they would try to find a way to redact 
but there's no redaction really in a lot of tools. There's no active redaction because you have to go through every single page and then you have to produce the redaction and you have to produce another copy and you have to do um, a legal review and you have to hold back sensitive and, and PII information and then you send out the information at some point. Also, that stuff is often under litigation hold within an agency. So there's the RFP litigation side of the production, and then there's the RFP, um, the, the FOIA side of it, where you're trying to produce in 30 days information that you would otherwise be able to produce in that same case according to your discovery schedule. And that's very complex. And right now, most agencies are doing that in different applications with different workflows in different departments. It's not seamless. Kenya, just a question for you. I mean, if you're if you're um, if you're a government agency and you're in receipt of a FOIA request, can a FOIA request come from a member of the public? Does it have to come from a corporation? Um, is it inter interdepartmental? Um, who's actually allowed to make a FOIA request? And how do they do it? Anyone, anyone in this country can make a request. Most agencies have a portal that you can go to. You can Google and find the agency's portal and put in your request. And, and my understanding is that most of the requirement is that you pay for the copy um, and that you're not asking for anything that's classified, secret, uh, that's, pri that's privacy protected, health information protected, that sort of thing. So you can get almost any, almost anyone can request, and you can request of the government that they tell you anything, um, as long as it's not one of the FOIA exceptions that's in the law. And so, and, 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 as, and when that and when that data comes back to you as a requestor, um, is it usually uh, here's a bundle of PDFs, or is it uh, hey we've got five thousand sheets of paper waiting for you, come pick them up? Well, you can go and pick up. Usually, a FOIA request is not a large volume of documents because the, one of the requirements is that um, the request be as narrow as possible. So if you're request, if I'm requesting everything on Ian Campbell, hopefully you don't have a whole storage full of information that the government has collected on you. Um, and it has to be by agency. So I can't say United States federal government, give me everything you've ever collected on Ian Campbell. I have to go to a particular agency and say, agency, I need everything you have on Ian Campbell. And hopefully that agency doesn't have a storage a locker or a facility full of data just on you. It's usually a folder or a binder or one banker's box worth of information. You can go pick it up. It can be sent to you as long as it's not private information. So you can receive in the mail a packet of FOIA-produced information. And if I, if I were doing that request... <clears throat> yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh -huh. I was going to say, imagine... It receiving thousands of those requests every month in every agency. If I were an individual, um, am I always requesting information about another individual, or, um, or am I requesting information about an entity, or can I request information about an issue or, or, or something of, of, of more general, uh, something more general? Yes. And so <laughs> what used to happen is people would request every contract that's ever been out there pertaining e-discovery. 
um, within a particular agency. And so for the past seven years, every contract that you've had, every RFP, every proposal, you, you, as long as there wasn't um, protected, secret, or confidential information in that contract, you could send them the contract. The agency started putting that stuff out, publishing this stuff, so you could just go to the Internet and look for it. I could ask for everything that has ever existed about iConnect. Um, if a particular agency, agency X, Y, and Z, has had some dealings with iConnect or <clears throat> had an investigation or some litigation with iConnect, I can request that information. Um, if I just want to know what everyone's salary is, I can request that information. As long as it's not privacy protected and it's not um, revealing other information. So with that information, I wouldn't you, the agency wouldn't provide the employee's home address and telephone number. But right, right. But your salary is public information. But people request all sorts of things. The media requests things. Hollywood requests things because they're making documentaries and movies and. Um, People request things about presidents from the National Archives, uh, things about from the FDA, about uh, research that they're doing with regards to pharmaceuticals, which is very timely. You can request any amount of info, any type of information from any agency as long as it's not an excluded um, category, privacy protected, uh, classified data, secret data, or confidential data, or trademarked um uh, data that is uh, that pertains to um, the value of a company. So we're not going to produce the federal government is not going to produce information that is part of your your trade secrets um, uh, to the public. Got it. Got it. Got it. The um, and, and just to kind of put a bow in and around that, it sounds like if I wanted to, I could put in a request for, you know, uh, to ENRD asking for all information related to groundwater contamination in a certain county in California. I, I, I could go to that sort of uh, that granular level, correct? Yes. And if the request is too broad, the agency, the, the council, the FOIA team will let you know that this request is too broad and ask you to narrow it down. Or they'll you know, say, fine, you can have it. It's going to take us longer than 30 days, and you've got to pay for every page of that. You know, you've got to pay to have that, that data it. printed out. So that, you know, that's, that's part of the deal. Sounds good. Well, I mean, beyond FOIA, um, the, the, the uh, people asking for or people sending and receiving confidential data that, uh, or, or, or non-confidential data that happens to – to contain some level of sensitive information, be it PII or healthcare data, uh, PHI as it's referred to, or, uh, or maybe even uh, IP information. There's a lot of other areas where uh, privacy is a concern, correct? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that, that, that PI, anytime any entity or person is producing information, if it's privacy protected, health protected information, that information should be redacted out. Now, in the FOIA context, when you find that information, you've got to redact it out. And what happens is you've got to take it out of the review application and put it in a different application, and you review every page, and you're doing the redactions, and then you, you produce that information. And if there's litigation or investigations going on, then you've got to make sure that, that the same information in the, the the document review application that you're using is the same information in the FOIA application that you're reviewing and producing and that you're not cross 
contaminating that information or revealing information on one side that you're not supposed to reveal while, while protecting it on the other side. It can be very convoluted. And the way that, that, that people are requesting FOIA information now, those, those separated processes are a problem for federal agencies. Now, Perfect. when it comes to a breach, for an example, something that's different than FOIA, when you have a breach, some sort of cyber breach, you've got to determine whether or not the information breached was privacy-protected information, right? So you've got to go in and review all of your data and determine whether or not credit card numbers, dates of birth, social security numbers, people's addresses, phone numbers, all of their privacy and health-protected information was breached. How do you find that stuff? And I think that's the challenge. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to go on to the next slide here because I, I think, um, you know, the, uh, the folks on the phone are the, the folks on the webinar here are probably to some extent familiar with the ability to, to do Boolean searches, keyword searches, phrase searches, um, the ability to go in and, um, and do date range searches, uh, words uh, beside other words, proximity searches. Those are pretty standard searches. Um, you know, going back to e-discovery platforms all the, all the way to the early uh, kind of, kind of mid-90s, I, I guess, when we started to see that. But beyond that, we're now starting to see different levels of AI, the ability to go in and, and find a document which is uh, talking about an issue, but then be able to go, hey, go and find other, other documents that, that are talking about a similar issue, albeit that might not be using the same keywords. So we're starting to see AI from a conceptually similar, similar standpoint. We see them, um, uh, the ability to have conceptual clusters. Um, there's a number of other AI tools out there, Cal, for example, where we can start to, um, start to do some very good searches. However, the challenge we run into is, is if, if we're in a situation where we don't know what we don't know. I know I want to go find driver's license numbers, but I have no idea what the driver's license numbers might be. And that kind of leads us to this slide here. And, and Mike, maybe you could give us a high-level overview. You, you've been demoing... Um, this, I think, probably since March, and have probably run into you know hundreds of different use cases. Yeah, absolutely. I see a ton of different use cases. I mean, I think here's a great example. Um, when uh, when the uh, when COVID first kicked off in the spring, one of my hosting partners that I work with, one of the vendors, had a project in place where they were doing something very similar for two local school districts, and their big concern was they had to release a bunch of documents out. The documents themselves contained, and they knew it was in they would material that was in there they just had no idea what it might actually look like it was all student email addresses now being the uh, the father of um, two teenage girls I can tell you who knows what email handles that they're actually using out there um, kids being kids they aren't using the board issued certified email that they're supposed to be using they're handing in stuff from their hotmail accounts and their gmail accounts and stuff from iCloud and who knows what sort of crazy app they signed up on and they've got this in place they really had no idea what it was but they knew it had to be found and then they had to redact against it. Um, and again, not at all like sort of a litigation sort of scenario. It wasn't directly tied to a FOIA scenario, but they had some material they had to share and it had to be pulled out. Uh, most recently, I spent the better part of last week with somebody whose entire world is consumed with uh, VIN numbers on, on automotive uh, automobiles. So that was another example. We don't know exactly what's in there. We know this type of thing exists. How can we find it? And I think this slide deck does a great job. Because as soon as we start talking privacy, I mean, there's a handful of things that 
everybody is immediately aware of, right? Right off the bat, you start thinking, okay, I can't disclose street addresses at home residence is in certain, you know, names of persons or patients if it were medical files, that kind of thing. Uh, credit card information, obviously, if that shows up, I need to pull it out. Uh, we've done some work in the past with uh, insurance companies, and you've got policy numbers. We need to sort of redact and hide this stuff out. Front and center, social uh, security numbers and things of that nature. But you start looking at the analytics are at a stage now where they can help you find a whole host of other information that is, you know, ties to that whole idea of personally identifiable that you may have privacy concerns around. Go back to my VIN number thing. Look at a scenario, another project, which was university student numbers. Um, that became the key thing that needed to be found in place there. You start looking at um, other material in there like, uh, you know, airline ticket numbers in place there. And so potentially trade secrets, coded information in a, in, a, in a company that they utilize as simply being able to find it and you want this to all be done seamlessly. And I think that really leads us into the next transition on, okay, so what can we do? We know we've got this problem. We know there's a bunch of data out there. What can we actually do to help us, A, find it, and then address it when we need to create an evidence bundle? We need to produce it. We need to share it. It needs to sort of get out of the system, out to somebody, into somebody's hands. Thank you, Mike. Uh, and I know, Kenya, you've been involved with a number of government agencies sort of on the inside. You know, of the list of things here, what, are you, what, what do you find are the things that are the most sensitive, the things everyone uh, has heartburn over if they realize it's been released by accident? Well, the first thing is classified data, right? So if data is classified and for some reason it's inadvertently um, released to people who don't have the, the, the particular clearance to see that information and or to the public, then that's, that's a huge problem. And so as you try to go through, as the federal government tries to go through data that it has to, to produce either in response to litigation or in response to a FOIA request, the, the, the most important and sensitive thing is that the data not be classified. The second thing, obviously, is um, any information that would put the public at risk or that would cause some sort of harm. So it may not be classified, but it might be uh, someone who, uh, for, and I think the thing that's really interesting right now is people who have COVID, have tested positive for COVID. You don't want to release their test results to the public, but if that person's trying to get on an airline, trying to get on an airplane and go, travel across the country or travel internationally, you want to stop them. And so finding that information without inadvertently leaking it to the public is very important, and you need a seamless process to do that. Um, someone here on the Q&A, Mr. Arthur McCullum, thank you, has said, for example, dash cam footage. Um, so maybe you, there's, there's been an accident and there's some information in the dash cam footage that needs to be used for for whatever reason to to find someone to determine what happened at an intersection or to, to find a vehicle or something, that information can't be released to the public if it has certain, um, uh, certain hallmarks to it. And so finding that information and keeping it private at the same time is really very important. Got it. Okay, so speaking of finding the information, uh, we're going to talk about sort of the four different pillars of of, uh, of approach that we've taken within the iConnect platform. The, the first one being the ability to report on PII. 
And um, you know, and Mike, I'll, I'll let you grab the screen here. Um, we're going to show you sort of how you do that. Um, a, a, a bunch of information which is in the system, data which has been collected, and you're just genuinely interested in knowing what have I got here, and is there any information which might be sensitive to me? Mike. Perfect. And I do believe my screen is coming up nice and clear. So. Being able to report right off the bat, the first thing we always want to know is what don't we know, right? What is actually in this data set that I happen to have? And it's always nice when you can do all of these things in one place. So right off the bat, we want to be able to run an easy report. How do I generate a report? How easy can this be done just to see what kind of privacy concerns might we have from a PII standpoint? Um, the nice thing with this is if there are other specific things, we talked a little bit, uh, Kenya mentioned about trade secrets, for example, maybe there's other language that could be of a confidential nature. You'd like to just see, does this sort of thing exist in the data set? I've jumped in. I'm on an iConnect dashboard here. It's simply the dashboard that's related to this project. So I've got a bunch of data that's loaded in, and I'm going to simply come into this little report manager wizard. And all I need to do is walk in. I'm going to give my report name. I'll just call it PII today. And the key is going to be I want to run a search term report to see what I happen to have in my system. As I slide on over, what do I want to report on? The entire project, which would simply be all the data in my data set, or maybe I've got a subset of data that I want to focus in. I grab that out of a folder. But I'm going to grab anything inside of my entire data collection, and we try to make this fairly easy. You may have noticed on um, Ian's previous slide that he had pulled up with the overview of PII. We deal with our three most populous regions here. We simply have put it on my system. So I've shortlisted all PII related to, in this case, Canada. US or the UK. Now obviously there's a whole ton of PII, which is generally globally, it's going to be the same names or names, etc., um, addresses and things of that nature. But when we start getting into government issued uh, identification, so think of things like your social security numbers, you know, up in Canada, it might be a social insurance number. In the UK, I may be interested in my NIH number for their um, national health care program if I'm looking for health numbers, etc. So there's a whole host of um, specifically formatted government information, and so that's why we choose the regions in place here. We give the short list, so with one click, I can identify anything and everything related to that region. So U.S., it automatically puts it in. All that being said, you may have also noticed there are actually 51 countries that are uh, supported in here. So if it ever becomes important to track down Romanian driver's license numbers, we can do that. And what you'll see is the software just automatically imports in all the PII we're looking for. And we'll see in a few moments, it's also going to automatically organize some of that for me, as well as giving me the ability to add in any other language or searches that may be important to me. And I literally slide on over and run that off. When I kick off these projects, I've already run a keyword report or a PII search term report in the system. Nice and easy, it hands over to me a little spreadsheet letting me know the project I'm in, how many documents are there, the review burden, which would essentially be how many documents within that collection actually have PII hits that we're looking for. And what we'll see is it'll categorize for us all of the document hit counts, the unique document hit counts, meaning 
This is the only document that this PII actually shows up in, and what that hit percentage is across my database, allowing me to instantly be able to determine where do I seem to be really heavily slated. And in this particular data set, I can see I have a ton of email addresses. Almost 45% of all my documents contain email inside of it. Um, I've got uh, URL addresses in here at about 50% as well. And when I look at specific job titles, I mean, almost three-quarters of my data set includes that, but I don't have to worry about anything really around things like taxpayer ID numbers. Don't have any of those in the system, so it's, it's all right. So I get my overview in place of all the PII that I was looking for. A nice handy report to immediately know how much of this exists in the data set, is it really going to be a huge issue for us as we jump in to start cleaning that stuff up. But when we start looking at, say, a larger set in place, Obviously, the whole redaction capability is where being able to automate this becomes a real boon. And as we can see with this little report, not just the PII, but also number of search terms that I was interested in looking for automatically, again, are reported. So literally, within 20 minutes, I can have off a complete report giving me an overview as to everything that exists in my data set, and I'll know exactly what is, and more importantly, is not in there that we're going to have to worry about. And I think the advantage of that, Mike, would be that, uh, you know, for example, even if it's not PII, if I'm looking for prescription ID numbers or I'm looking for, um, you know, other things that maybe aren't, aren't uh, um, personal information but, but are in general something which is important to me from an IP perspective, it's a great way to pull that together. And, Kenya, that's the kind of thing you would potentially take to a meet and confer, correct? Yes. So the interesting thing in the government is the government says, we want this data from you before you ever have an opportunity to sit down and talk to them. And <laughs> that's probably very scary for corporations and for individuals. Um, but when you get after that initial set of data or documents has been um, passed back and forth, there's a series of negotiations that occur. And so you can sit down with your counsel, with government counsel, and negotiate how you're going to produce data moving forward, what you're going to produce, um, whether or not it's acceptable to use a certain keywords, and how do you pull the privacy information out and, and what that process should look like. And you can negotiate that with the government, and you have to find a way to do it, and the government has to find a way to do it too. Um, and so as you're, you're making these negotiations back and forth, finding privacy information and sensitive information, trade secrets and, uh, and all of that data is, is something that corporations want to protect even while cooperating with the government. Um, cooperation doesn't mean your trade secrets go out the window. It means that you have to negotiate with the government to protect you while they're investigating you. And so the government then has to find a way to do that and using, using a FOIA module that can help them do that for the litigation side and the FOIA side is very, very convenient. For the corporate side or for the private sector side, um, making certain that, that you're getting the information before the government's giving it to you, well, that's a strategy. You put in a FOIA request and you, you want to see if the government's going to give you the same stuff in the, the request for production as they give you um, in a FOIA request. And so that's how it's being used by the private sector. Got it, got it. So, so let's move on from the reporting into searching. And, and this is something that, um, you know, you've got a collection, 
and you've got a, a date range you're looking for, you've got some just general keywords you're looking for, but you're maybe looking for some of those general keywords in combination with, let's say, a phone number or in combination with uh, a driver's license number, to your, to your point, Mike. Um, that's something you can do as well because what we're doing, the, the, uh, the code that we're using to run that search term report is the, actually the same code which is built into our search engine. Absolutely, and as we jump in over here, we can see an example of that. So we treat the PII as if it's just any other search in place, which means um, it can be combined with any other filters or things of that nature, and more importantly, when we find it, it gets highlighted like any other keyword. Here's a good example of that. I've jumped into my platform now, running a quick search here. I've saved one on credit card information. And what we'll see, and this is again one of those things to keep in the back of your mind as you start looking at tools out there that can handle this sort of thing. On credit card numbers, I've got a Visa number here highlighted off. I've got a Discover card number here highlighted off. I've also got a document that's telling me that this is an American Express number. I've got my numerical string route even expect to see it on the document. This particular record's even got things like CVV and expiry date information. However, all that being said, because this is using analytics, we're using AI for this, and not just trying to do something like pattern matching in place there, the AI recognizes that this is just a numerical string of gibberish. I mean, the actual numbers are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 0, and then starts repeating over. Um, as such, the engine recognizes that's not a legitimate credit card number and convention from anywhere across the globe. As such, it's not going to come back for me as a false positive, right? Um, so obviously, you want to know exactly what you've got in the system, but you also don't want to be overly burdened with then trying to clean up a bunch of material that isn't actually a privacy concern. Is it actually legitimate PII in the system? And I think we see that even more clearly on this second example here in my platform, whereby pattern-wise, and I'd run a quick search here on, hey, just bring me any of the phone numbers in the system. That's what I'm concerned about. And what you'll see here is, pattern-wise, this 11-digit string is formatted exactly like the one we see below that, right? I've got a plus, a one, I've got a space, I've got three digits, a dash, three digits, a dash, and four di digits. However, because again, we're using analytics with this, the analytics identifies the entities it's looking for, in this case, phone number PIIs, looks at all of the entities it finds around that to help put it in its proper context, gain some better understanding as to the true nature of this, Engine recognizes, hey, this is a copy of a fax transmission form. As such, that is a fax number and not a phone number. Therefore, that's not the pattern I'm looking for. That's not the actual right information, which stays very, very accurate in that regard. Being able to search on it and being able to use a platform that is really making use of analytics to help you deal with this helps just bring through a much more streamlined and more accurate result set. So you really are dealing with true privacy concerns and, more importantly, exactly the sort of thing you're really looking for. I think the other thing with that is that, um, you know, you, you and I have seen in our time in this business some, uh, you know, page-long, uh, you know, 20 levels of parenthetic logic searches. I'm sure some people on the, uh, on the call today are maybe guilty of doing a few of those. Um, the, the PII search can be a component of that, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And here's a, a great example on how that goes. Actually, let's me sort of transition a little bit into my folders tab. If we want to uh, slide over um, to uh, the next uh, screen in here, uh, the ability to, A, we've already seen, report on it, 
nice and easy. In my report, I had made a mention of the fact that it's PII, and I included a few other search terms, specific searches, things that were important to me as well. So we can find it. We've seen how it lights up in the platform when I'm actually searching on it and its accuracy. But more importantly, we auto-generate off the folders. It's organized for you. And being able to auto-folder the sensitive content for inclusion or exclusion uh, during your review, right? This gives you ma massive flexibility to code, classify, create subsets of the data, and review bundles for you know multi-level secured access. It really doesn't matter how complex that review needs to go. And here's exactly what that looks like. As I bounce back on over into my database here, back in that little subset of data I looked at, when I ran the search term report previously, the moment I had kicked that off, Within the actual platform, in this area called folders, we can see the system auto-generated a reports panel, and it carved out for me, right to your point, Ian, all of the actual privacy concern PII data I was looking for, and the other material I'd included as part of that search. So you'll see here. Mike, 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 I don't believe yes. you're seeing your screen share. Did I'm the not screen share not pop up? Share. I don't believe so. Oh, there. All right. I thought I had hit the box. I did not. I apologize. So I've jumped right back over. So as I was uh, mentioning, I'm back in my main table view in place here. When I had run this search term report previously, the software automatically generated for me this reports panel in my folder tree. So we can see here, already pre-organized for my users, whoever needs to come in and take a look, it had already carved out the privacy concern documents from the other search terms I was looking for. If I expand that out, we can see the individual search terms. I had included a specific medical device. So that's found and already pre-organized for my team. From the privacy concerns, everything has been organized into its own individual type of PII as well. Now, because I had focused on US-based PII, I got a little subfolder in place here where it carved out things like the driver's license numbers, play ID numbers, taxpayer information, social security numbers, again, are all bundled up into those individual folders. And then, of course, all of that other sort of universally understood PII that's pretty much the same around the globe, all persons, all locations, all email addresses, job titles, etc we talk about the different things that can be found, this also, when we're looking at other types of review inside, um, captures up you know, beyond things like your vehicle ID numbers, even includes, as we collect more and more data from social media, documents that may contain emojis on them, because oftentimes the emoji denotes the tone behind what was being said. So the ability to organize all of that in place here gives you very easy capabilities then to focus it on, hey, I just need to see all the names that jumped up in the database. Jump into my folder, I'm limited to that subset. Oh, I need to hide this data and not include it with a production, with an export, because it's already neatly foldered for you, it becomes very easy to sort of push and pull that around to the relevant parties, both within the platform and outside of the platform, that need to take a look at some of that data. So two things, Mike. And first of all, you didn't have to create those folders. They were all created on the fly, correct? On the fly, automatically. When I ran through that little report manager wizard, every piece of PII, it automatically gave me a little trigger and said, this is the folder I'm going to add into for you. And right. we try to keep it simple. The naming conventions are, I'm looking for social security numbers. My folder is social security number. Like it, It's plain English language, yes. 
So, so that gives me then the ability as us maybe start to batch out uh, documents, either in a linear review or, um, or I'm doing an investigative review, and I wanted to restrict access to those documents. Uh, I can now do that because within the platform, um, as I go and share uh, bundles of documents with, with other, uh, other participants, I, I can include or exclude by folder, which means I could give my reviewers the ability to get to everything except the documents that contain a Visa card number. So, well, um, you know, yeah, yeah, here, 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 here's, here's a great example of that, Ian. I mean, this has been auto-generated. I created it. It's hidden to me. But just as easily, I could step in here now, and I can say, you know what? Ian now gets to see this folder, but he has absolutely no idea that the other ones even exist inside of that database. So, yes, you can really segregate down who gets access to that within your system for sure. Got it. And, and I just pop open thumbnail view as well, Mike, because I, I think it's a way that people can, they can sort of immediately go in and, um, and they can see uh, exactly what's in that folder from a visual perspective as well, correct? Absolutely. And here's a great example. I've got my little search in place, and those are the five documents that have lit up in there. I've got a PowerPoint that's coming in here. If I want to take a look, I can blow that up full screen. But this gives me a nice little overview as to all the documents that are sitting in place, and I can then really ascertain if something looks like I need to really dig in a little bit closer, including the ability to zoom in and page on through and see exactly what that PowerPoint slide deck actually was even looking like, or this particular document. Here's a zoom into the facts document that I had pulled up previously. So yes, the thumbnail mode can give you a nice sort of top-level overview of all the material that may show up in any of those PII-identified folders. So, so leave your screen open for a second, and maybe let, let's just bounce straight into redaction. I want to make sure that we get to the good stuff here, and I know Kenya's been chomping at the bit to, to, to show this, because it's probably one of, the, one of the coolest pieces of code we've written at iConnect for a long time. And, and uh, you could maybe now focus in on, on, uh, on how, since we know what the words are and we know where the words are, we can now redact those words. Absolutely. So now this can be done en masse. And so I'm going to simply navigate up to this little icon at the top of my little toolbar called Mass Actions. And you'll see here it's taking my current search results. So in this specific case, I'm going to run my redactions against the phone numbers I had identified inside of my database. And I'm also going to include a few other things with that. So I'm just going to hit my current search results in place. And I'm going to navigate to this little option right here, which simply says Redact Records. And as I slide over, the key is, you may recognize, we try to look for consistency. The box I work with for what information do I want to automatically redact is the exact same layout we had when I created my search term report. Right? So I can step in here. I can auto fill in all the PII, choose the region I'm looking for. Now, I don't need to worry about doing everything across the entire data set today. I'm just going to say really specific. I want to redact out any of the phone numbers that are found. And I'm going to include with that, I've got a few terms that are kind of important to me. I'm going to throw in the word Berlin, and I've got a gentleman here, Rod Appelstein, and I always forget how to spell his last name. So I can include the PII en masse, be very specific with the PII I'm concerned about, as well as anything else, confidential language, names of individuals that you would just want to absolutely make sure this is redacted out, whatever it is that comes in place. If you happen to have, and you're combining privilege review with some of this as well, you can upload in your 200 priv terms into the box nice and easy. You can easily apply 
different redaction or annotation layers to your data set as well if you want to. That gives you the ability, for example, as an early stage to ensure you've redacted PII, and then if you are getting ready for litigation, you're getting into actual real e-discovery, then you can handle that separately from the content proof review, merge those sets in. So there's a little bit of flexibility there, and you can customize whatever you want it to say. I'm just going to throw redacted on top of mine today. I'm going to say go. The system says, are you sure you really want to do that to those five documents? I'm going to say, absolutely. As I kick that off, I take a quick look over here at my little status tab. We'll see my automated redactions are working. We'll do a little refresh here. Oh. And let's see. There we go. It's now done. And as I navigate over to take a closer look at my documents, what we're going to end up seeing is I've got my original natives, and then I happen to have this little annotation mode in place here, where as I bounce on over, we can see, as I take a look at the cover mass actions layer, I want to put that on. It's now come in and auto-redacted my phone numbers. As I bounce into my next document in place, what we'll see is phone number was properly redacted, not the fax number. And if I just visually, I've got some visual tools in here to confirm I've done these things properly. When I pull that off, I've got my generic phone number. I've got my word Berlin showing up in a few spots. I also have Mr. Rod Appelstein here redacted out. And this is the one document I kind of like showing off only because it's not exactly the cleanest of documents. A little off-centered, a little fuzzed out, not just because it found some information at the top, but also buried in that little lower address block in the bottom corner here. So as I zoom this up a little larger, we can see it properly identified the phone number down in place here, and it handled that for and we're all about trying to minimize clicks for users. So not just find it and let people manually apply it, allow them to do that automatically. And there's a big difference between the automations and the ability to step in and do your own manual redactions. You can see I have some options at the top here. If I just wanted to throw in you know, a manual box that's lit in there, when I draw it on myself, clearly we log in done by Mike at this date and this time versus the automated material, which logs a lot more because we've applied it for specific reasons that the analytics understand. So it lets me know, hey, Mike had applied this, but it fell under an annotation reason category of PII phone is what sits in under here, which is why we can't disclose it. The AI gives me a confidence score, so it becomes very easy to QC this stuff before you actually export anything out of the system, etc. So again, the automation portion is very, very easy and just as easy to manipulate that if necessary. For example, right in the front end UI, being able to slide back over where I can come in and simply say, hey, I need to modify my annotations where I can en masse remove them, copy them is how we merge multiple sets onto each other, or even move the annotations around. Maybe you're worried that you had overly redacted, you weren't using some proper search terms if you combined other material with that in the data set. Essentially, anything that is searchable in the platform, obviously, all the PII, plus anything else that can be searched on can be automatically redacted. So you can actually move those around, refine what the search terms were if you want to expand or minimize or just change what had been redacted. However, just like that, I had jumped in and had fully redacted for the PII I was concerned with, plus a few other privilege terms, you know, this handful of documents inside of that database, and I didn't have to go and manually draw any of that on.
Better. And, right. and, and, and Kenya, Kenya, from your perspective, I mean, the fact that would mean we're not touching the native, the native, uh, the, the, the original integrity of the native is held. And what we're doing is we're holding those redactions as a layer, which, which gives you some comfort as well as an attorney and as somebody who's maybe working on either side of the fence, right? Well, I mean, the amazing thing about this, before we even get into what, you know, the holding of the redacted versus the unredacted, the fact that you don't have to go through every single page and manually redact every piece of information is going to be such a relief to FOIA attorneys in the federal government. Because right now, that process is pull it out of a review, out of the tool that you processed it, drop it into this other tool, go through page by page, manually redact, take that folder of redacted documents, save that push that into another tool, and then produce it out so that you can send it. The workflow is really, um, it's mind-boggling. And so what this does is it allows you to say, okay, I'm going to redact all of these different pieces of information, and as I do my review, I'm just visually looking to see, did it hit everything that I need? Is there something else in there? You can get into a rhythm, and you can get through those FOIA requests a lot quicker. Then you can take all of that information and compare it, because you're in the same system, to what you're going to produce for an RFP or what you're going to produce in an, an investigation. You can even say, okay, we've collected all this information internally that's being requested um, through the FOIA request. But we happen to know there's more information that they've produced to us that's different from what we've collected. And now we can compare and take a look at, at what documents are different and whether or not those documents have similar information or different information. Another way that this is really an interesting tool to use is if you just take the FOIA piece out of it, when you're negotiating with the government regarding what you're going to produce and what can be redacted, a lot of times the negotiations are, we're a company, we have clients, we don't want you to have the names of our clients. We don't want you to start investigating our clients, because that's going to ruin our business. And so the agreement you have with the government is, we're going to redact out the names of our clients. And so this will help you, with this set of documents, pull the names that you want. The names of all your clients can be loaded in, redacted out. And then so when you're producing to the government, you know that you're not revealing that information. It's just, it's amazing how the workflow is shortened um, when you have everything in one tool. Mike, I'm going to get you to bounce straight into Excel. And I know we're getting a little tight on time here. We just got a, a few kind of summary slides to get to. But if we can bounce into Excel, the one thing I wanted to mention is that everything you've seen so far will work in any language. It will work on any quantity of documents or size of document, and it will work on any file type. Um, the viewer that you're seeing there uh, will manage about 800 different file types, which is anything from the standard stuff all the way back to CorelDRAW and, and, and Lotus Notes spreadsheets. So um, you, you, you've got a lot of um, you've got a lot of a lot of sort of optionality in and around that. Um, and, and then Mike, uh, maybe you can just show that. Uh, one of the questions we always get is, how, but how does it manage Excel documents? And um, so beyond the original release of the platform that we did in March, we, uh, we followed that up quite quickly. Um, we followed that up quite quickly with, with an Excel module. So Mike, uh, if you could just show that quickly and then we'll continue forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we can see here I've pulled up now uh, my original native Excel that was in the platform, file name 005XLS. I had actually opted to redact three things out of this document in place here. I wanted the statement derived from natural sources that we see in this particular cell here. And I had wanted the word chocolate. You see I've got a bit of a recipe list here blending in a whole bunch of stuff, chocolate. And I wanted the name Sean. And we'll notice here on my original, I actually have a comment box that isn't readily apparent unless I'm clicking by into that cell to bring it in there. So chocolate, Sean, and derived from natural sources. So a little bit of a combination of a few different things in a few different places, some of which buried in on an Excel file. And what the software does is rebuilds that natively right within the application with the exact same file name and a little hyphen redacted inside. So a lot of flexibility as far as that goes. Clearly tying those two sort of versions together where we can see on my little artificial flavors tab here, the phrase derived from natural sources has now been scrubbed and redacted out cleanly. And on my master tab, we can see littered through every single cell has had chocolate scrubbed and redacted out of it. And even in my little comment box, the name Sean has been pulled out. Here's another secondary version uh, where we had a chart that had been buried in on an Excel where it was a certain city name I'd wanted to redact out, found in that cell, found in that chart, done as well. And so that is simply built right within the application and is tied right next to that native file viewer that we just saw a moment ago with a new name added over which is clearly differentiating the original untouched native file and now the same file with the hyphen redacted as far as a file name goes. So it's very, very easy to push and pull that data out and to produce native redacted Excels regardless of whether or not it's PII or any other search terms that are required to mark up in that system. Perfect. Okay. Um, Mike, I'll get you to release your screen there for a second. Um, that, that, that's great. And, and just for the audience, uh, in order to do that work, it didn't require any kind of a special um, uh, Microsoft license. It doesn't require Office on your desktop. Um, it, it simply requires the ability to run that inside an, an iConnect platform and a file type, which is an Excel. And it actually creates that second, it creates a second Excel and puts it back into the same record. So you then have two Excels hanging off the same record such that when you go to produce, you can produce um, the redacted version instead of the native. Um, I, I know, uh, Kenya, and we've got a, a few slides to get through here to wrap up. We're getting a little tight on time, but you can maybe talk about the fact that, you know, the different government agencies have different workflows, but all of those workflows seem to include some area that we've highlighted in yellow there to sort of review and redact. Yes. So um, it's interesting, the agencies that I've worked with and, you know, for people who know, you know me, I've been to several agencies, um, you have to redact regardless of what agency you're at because you have these, these stated pieces of information that you have to pull out. Um, but every agency uses a different tool. There is no mandatory tool across the federal government where 166 agencies all use tool X. Um, some agencies have no tool. They have no, they, they may have some e-discovery um, capability, but they have no redaction tool at all. And so they create um, maybe an Adobe file um, and they're redacting, in, you know, in Adobe 
and then they're taking that redacted document and they're emailing it over here. I have seen workflows that if I were a FOIA attorney, I would just jump right off something. Um, and so I feel, you know, I have always felt really bad that they don't have the technology to just review, redact, and produce. Um, if you look at agencies that don't do investigations and agencies that don't do um, litigation, like the White House, which is not technically an agency, but the White House is not a litigating and investigating body. But they have nine components, and in those components, uh, there's a FOIA requirement for every legal department. And even within the White House, they use different techniques in each component. The executive office of the president has a, a very different um, formula for how they do FOIA and how they redact. And, and that formula is basically using taking all of the files and putting them in Adobe and, and, and redacting them and, and freezing that, that image and sending that image back to review and have it reviewed by another person before it's sent to another agency. It's convoluted, and there is no one tool where they can do everything. And that's a shame. Um, they, they certainly need something like this. Great. Um, continuing forward, um, you know, the other uses. I mean, breach analysis is one. Uh, you know, for example, if somebody came in and, uh, you know, happened to get their hands on, on a drive um, uh, or hacked, uh, hacked a system, got their hands on the contents of a drive, if you then took that, the contents of that drive, dropped it into an iConnect system, and ran PII um, uh, searching or uh, foldering against it, you could almost immediately identify what had been uh, what, what had been been taken out of the company. And if you have a reporting requirement to your state uh, or your local attorney general's office um, about a breach that's occurred. This is going to make it easier for you to get that information uh, and to create a report so that when you go to to um, the law enforcement entity in your area, you can you'll have a, co a comprehensive understanding of what PII may have been breached um, or whether or not PII was breached at all. Maybe you had a breach and none of your PII was exposed uh, because you segregated appropriately and what was breached did not have any PII in it. And so being able to, to have this sort of approval um, process, one process that folders and shows you everything, I think is going to help uh, corporations, but also um, uh, smaller entities, not-for-profits, and help the government tremendously. And at iConnect, we also get involved with uh, the European markets. So obviously, GDPR is a concern when when documents are being uh, are being shared um, across different um, different jurisdictions. Uh, data subject access requests, obviously, the ability to um, understand um, what information is there and maybe and maybe uh, uh, eliminate it, but maybe just sanitize it such that the information can stay, but the private information can't. Um, the other area we find a, a fair bit of action on is the audio-video area. We're seeing more and more people talking about audio and video, wherein either they want to take the video and redact faces, uh, redact license plates. Uh, that is certainly technology that we are very familiar with. Or the ability to convert the video audio or the audio uh, to text. And, uh, and then to be able to run that text through. So imagine, if you will, you know, you're, you're running through looking for uh, words that should not have been spoken. 
um, on, on on a video, and, and whether that's related to police reform or it's related to some some form of governance and conduct, um, it gives you the ability to now for using technology to be able to uh, kind of look over the horizon to see what people are or, or, or look into files to see what people are saying um, on camera, and um, and again be able to take a very um, objective approach to the evaluation of that conduct. Just to sort of start to wrap up here, um, a summary of really what we looked at today, this is all technology which is available now. It's in market, has been in market for, for a while. The Iconic platform in its current, um, current iteration has been around since, oh, probably around 2014. Um, and uh, we, we did a, a ton, ton of upgrades to our, our, our version 10, which was released, as I mentioned, in March of this year. Uh, we are now also on, uh, on available through a FedRAMP cloud. So should you have a need to do this in a FedRAP environment, you can do that. Um, it is available to run either on a transactional basis or as a licensed platform. Um, be a little wary uh, for, for those of you out there who are looking at doing a project like this. For anybody who said they're going to charge you per redaction, we've uh, heard urban legends out there about the million cell, uh, the, the, uh, the million cell Excel spreadsheet where, where the system redacted every cell and the invoice showed up for a million dollars for one Excel spreadsheet. So uh, I'd like to think that invoice got adjusted, but uh, but again, the, the per redaction pricing model is one that, uh, that we're seeing uh, people be very sensitive about. As mentioned, it's international ready. It's not just for PII, and it can certainly be a component of a FOIA workflow. Um, I did have a question, uh, Kenya, for you. It was one that came in through the chat. Um, is FOIA something that it can also happen at the state or local municipal level? Absolutely. Um, almost every type of government entity in the United States, I can't speak for other countries, has these requirements that the government operate in a transparent fashion. And so you'll find FOIA um, uh, at, the, at the state level, um, Freedom of Information Act at the state level, at the local level, uh, overall for different federal agencies and for the federal government overall. So you'll, you'll, you can put a FOIA request in at almost any governmental uh, entity in this country. The, the last uh, bullet we've got there is, is certainly to ask questions. I, I think um, we run across all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff. You know, one recently where we've got 18,000 hours of audio and we need to redact um, any time somebody gave us a Visa card number. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. Ask questions. There's probably a way to do the workflow that you're wondering about. And that was really our goal today, was to be a, a little bit of a thought starter for you. Um, a huge thanks to, uh, to, to the group at ACEDS for making this um, presentation available. Um, huge thanks to Kenya, um, a director at the, uh, the Empire Technology Group. If you've got questions in and around how you can do this, how you should do this, um, her wealth of experience with, uh, in working with the White House and working with the FTC uh, is invaluable in, in then bringing that experience to, to your next project. Uh, the technology you saw today was with iConnect, and Mike, thank you for uh, taking the reins on showing that. We've got lots more information, uh, happy to do a demo. We've got some technical papers that are available on both our websites, and, and we're happy to, uh, to talk about your next project. So, again, uh, thank you to all, and uh, Mike, back over to you. Well, thanks so much, Ian. Fantastic presentation. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us today on the ACEDS webinar channel. Thank you to Mike and Ian and, of course, Kenya.
Um, and of course, our fabulous partner, iConnect. You can learn more about iConnect at iConnect.com. Uh, great work today. Great presentation. Please visit aceds.org for a complete list of our upcoming webinars. Have a great day, everyone, and be kind to one another. We Connect, brought to you by iConnect, making information accessible.